0: First.
1: everybody. Welcome to Speak and Destroy. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. And my guests for this very special bonus mini episode of Speak and Destroy, episode 60, are the great and wonderful Andrew Carter, who listeners will probably remember from our S&M2 recap. He was the bro that I went to uh, up to the bay with and caught night one of S&M2, which you can listen to that episode if you haven't. Andrew is, uh, he's done many things. He's been a music manager like myself. Uh, he's a former deputy editor for Terrorizer. Still does a lot of writing, but primarily he works as an entertainment attorney. Um, and, uh, you know, in the film world. Can we say in the film world? Yes. You can. Um, yeah. And then I'm also joined by my bro that I went to the Metallica drive-in show with, Kevin Berwick. Who is a musician, guitar player, plays in the band Golden Ram. He is also a writer, a very prolific writer for Movie Web and TV Web, and uh, you know, writing about all of the uh, clickable, clickworthy tales of uh, of celebrity news. Um, and a good friend, both very good friends of mine, both people I talk to a lot. And as you hopefully would have guessed before I got to it, huge Metallica fans, like myself. So, welcome back to Speaking Destroy, Andrew. Kevin, welcome to Speaking Destroy. You've been on the on the list to come on eventually, so this was perfect. So, yeah. So, our topic is the drive-in show, which, as we're taping this, was last night all across North America. Um, Kevin and I went to the show in Montclair, California, at the Mission Tiki Drive-In Theater, which was a place he, had, he Kevin hadn't been there before. I'd been there actually probably half a dozen times. It's a, it's a really cool drive-in theater, which as you would guess from the name, is Tiki themed. Uh, I have a good, good friend who usually has his uh, birthday parties there. So I've been, that was how I was introduced to it. And um, yeah, I've been there a few times. And they've been, actually been doing some really cool stuff on Thursday nights. A couple Thursdays ago, they did a Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream double feature. Another Thursday they did uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom um so yeah great place mission tiki and then andrew you went to woodland hills is that correct
0: that was a uh pop-up drive-in it was about thousand feet off the canoga exit of the 101 freeway in the west valley so between um and it's a pop-up so they set up a you know set up a screen and i think it's already going back to being a parking lot today um but these were the two southern these were the two los angeles Area venues. So between the two of us, we covered both locations.
1: So when you say pop-up drive-in, does that mean it's not normally a drive-in?
0: No, it's a parking lot most of the
1: time. Oh, wow. Because Yeah, because yeah. Mission Tiki is like, what was it? Four screens, Kevin? Five yeah. screens? Yeah, it's four. Yeah, it's like a legit functioning movie theater. I, I could be completely incorrect about this, but the way it was explained to me years ago, the first time I went, was that someone who loves drive-in theaters and is otherwise independently wealthy, owns the place and renovated it and keeps it going so it doesn't necessarily need to turn a profit as drive-in theaters often can't and they have car shows there and and swap meets and a lot of stuff that drive-in locations do but it is a functioning well put together recently refurbished snack bar drive-in theater all we need now
0: is Cheech and Chong to come back
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) was, was your show sold out
0: I believe it was if it wasn't it was very close I mean the the parking lot looked like it was filled up with cars all the way to the back. And I did notice that um, almost every car was black and most of the <laughs> ones that weren't were either gray or silver. And I think everyone who didn't have a black or silver car got made fun of by everyone else around yeah, me.
1: My car is black and Andrew's car is black as well. So <laughs> <laughs> we fit right in.
0: Yeah. We
2: left my red one at home.
1: <laughs> uh, good, good thing uh, I drove. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously this was a unique thing uh, it's obviously a unique time in the world, which we don't need to belabor. Everybody knows that. It's a unique thing for Metallica to do. Um, and, you know, something that I think is not talked about a lot in a lot of the press for the show. But it's the first time they've gotten together since Andrew and I saw them at S&M 2. And since Papa Het, uh, you know, went and got himself taken care of. And but, you know, they had, they had canceled and, and postponed shows prior to the pandemic. Um, so, you know, it, this is a pretty monumental event in the history of Metallica, not only to do something cool and innovative like the drive-in theater experience, but for them to all four be in a room together playing music, mm-hmm. rehearsing for this, and then recording it. It's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, and you could tell that they were excited about it, too.
1: They seemed like they were having fun, which was something I want to talk to you guys about, because, you know, in... With this whole live streaming concert thing that a lot of bands are are doing and figuring out, you know, before we jumped on earlier, I was just watching a, a leaked clip of Down from the Down twenty uh, fifth anniversary stream, which I think they did last night. Yeah. Um, you know, Clutch, Cromags, Black Blackfell Brides; those are the ones I've watched, and I know there's many more. But it's interesting seeing the different ways that bands are approaching the performance itself. Because, you know, there was a great contrast last night because the band Three Days Grace was the opening act and they were in an actual st- like recording studio by the looks of it. And it sounded, I think we all expect these to be a little polished, but it sounded like album worthy, perfect. And then there, there didn't appear to be anybody in the studio with them, but the singers doing like between song banter And kind of staring out at no one, Um, and then on the flip side, you know the Blackville Brides one I watched, and in talking to Andy, who people who listen to the show know is a close friend of mine,
0: your um, audio is cutting out.
1: You hear me? Got
0: you. I got you.
1: All right, cool. Um, Andy's uh, take when Blackville did theirs was to play to the camera. He was like, you know, I watched a bunch of these. And everyone's kind of staring off into space as though there's a phantom crowd there and there's no crowd and it's awkward. And he's like, so I decided we should treat it like a music video and kind of play to the camera a little bit like you do when you're taping a music video. I thought Metallica, and I'm curious for both of your thoughts, struck a balance between, it didn't feel like they're just dicking around at HQ and it didn't feel like a full-on you know there wasn't pyro and staging and all that stuff it felt like very appropriate for the situation like it seemed like they were loose and comfortable but also going for it and uh I feel like that's as usual with Metallica I feel like that's the model like I feel like other bands who are venturing into this should watch that and go like okay let's do more than just our practice space but less than you know asking people to make and this is, and I'm not trying to disparage three days of grace because everybody's trying to figure out how to do this, but whenever he would you know ask the crowd to make noise or jump up and down or it is super awkward because you're just watching a a produced video that was filmed so several days ago <laughs> of a guy telling you to you know jump up and down it, it's so anyway that's my my thing what do you guys think about the approach there uh-huh. Before for it. Oh, um, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting
2: mostly from seeing Metallica footage and, and from other tours is that uh, there was no rushing of tempos. It felt very relaxed and um, normally like For Whom the Bell Tolls is something that they play, like that Lars will start off really quick. And uh, last night felt more natural and more album oriented. So I don't know if that's like how it is in a the, in the practice space when they go about things. Uh, without like the rush of adrenaline from the crowd. But I felt that, uh, I agree with you that it was a nice balance between the two. Three Days Grace felt like, uh, like a BBC recording mm-hmm. like where yeah. uh, like maybe the instruments were recorded live and I'm not uh, insinuating that they uh, doctored anything but that's just the way it seemed. Whereas Metallica was kind of warts and all and but they don't really have warts, you know what I mean? Right.
0: Uh, <laughs> You know, I thought, I thought th- Three Days Grace actually, I think, had the more challenging environment, you know, when, you know, just playing in a studio without weather or outside or anyone other than camera people. And I think what it reminded me of a little bit is if you've ever been in a room where a band is playing a showcase gig in a rehearsal studio for some sort of executive who, you know, maybe they're going to sign the band or something like that. It is, you ask, you ask bands, that is the most awkward gig they'll ever play because there's no one to react to, and they're playing to one or two people that are sitting on a couch and intently watching them. Or, you know, and so I think it's, they, I think they they did the best they could with with what essentially was, you know, an awkward set of circumstances. And I thought it was, you know, it was professionally done. I thought it was mixed well. And and it was, um, I thought they were going to get like three or four songs. So I was surprised when it went eight. Um, Yeah. But, uh, and, and, but it was, you know it essentially they were and you know they got essentially a normal length opening slot and then without the changeover you know they pretty much you know the one minute changeover they went over to Metallica with Metallica what I, I was very surprised that it was not at their HQ because that's big enough place yeah. where they could have done everything they needed to do completely securely and and so I was I was very surprised when you know that all of a sudden hey wait they're playing in a vineyard um and But what it, after a couple of, of songs of just kind of being surprised by that, what it really felt like to me after the initial opening was when they've had these occasional gigs in the past where Metallica Club members have won contests to go see the band in some very remote area. Like there was the Antarctica gig. Yeah. In 1995, there was that remote gig up in the Arctic Circle where mm-hmm. you had to be a contest winner. That's what it felt like. It felt like you got to be up front at a contest winner show where there were maybe 100 people there. Yeah. Um, and so it felt like, and at least you know there were other humans there in the form of the, the the crew and the handful of people that were on the winery property, and you know they also had a dynamic environment in that they played. You know they went on stage just before sunset. And yeah, that was day. smart. I like that. So um, I think, but it felt more like like a con- it felt like a contest
1: winner show, mm. which uh, which is cool because it gives cause yeah. that there's an intimacy to that. Correct. Where yeah. you feel like you're seeing something special that not everyone gets to see. Yeah. Even exactly. though in this case, you know, everyone who wanted to, to get a ticket could. Especially, uh, you know, there were Encore. I wonder how many shows went into the Encore thing because Montclair sold out pretty quickly and then they added a second showing um, pretty soon. I don't, I'm not sure if that one sold out or not, but I mean, for, for the experiment that, that this is, were the Andrew at yours, were, were people honking instead of applauding? That's yeah, they,
0: people got into that. I think at one point three, the three days grace told everyone to honk once, and, and people did.
1: Maybe that's what started it.
0: That was started, but yeah, I got pretty constant after that. Um, we actually had a bit of a scare one that one that when it started, when they you know they gave us the radio frequency and everybody tuned it in. Everyone tuned it in, and the the the, uh, the signal had a lot of static and it was really distorted. It was really bad sound quality, and it went on through the entirety of the previews, and. Yeah. I mean, I actually got out of my car and like went to the people behind me asking, are you guys have an audio problems too. And everyone, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we all are. And fortunately they managed to get it sorted out just before three days grace started, because if they hadn't, they would have been looking at um, a parking lot full of refunds because yeah. it, was, it was really bad. So that, that put the scare into everyone for a little while, but we were a little bit late getting going and, and maybe... That was why, because they were trying to just get the radio signal to destroyed something it,
1: it must have been because yeah, because I remember because obviously we're in the same time zone in the same state, and just you know thirty forty miles a- apart from one another, and for people listening to us right now, Andrew and I were texting, and Metallica had just started at a point where Kevin and I were like half a dozen songs deep, so you know they definitely weren't simultaneous, but it it's cool that the, i'm I'm sure there were hiccups all around North America, I mean it's a new thing um and it, 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 the fact that it went off as well as it did says a lot um so andrew i know you did some homework on the vineyard itself and that whole sort of setup i'm super curious what you can tell us about that i know i read that it's like 20 30 miles away from hq but that was really all i knew about it
0: yeah i did i i, I um the first thing you know once you know w- once i realized it was a winery i was thinking okay which winery did they pick and why? And so I you know, did some research this morning. It turned out this was at a place called the Gunlock Bunchu Winery. Uh, they have shortened their website to gunbun.com if you want to go look at it. Makes much um, but as it turns out, um, this is a, it's been a family owned business and this is, and they're in their sixth generation. This this company has been in business as, as winemakers since 1858. And um, it survived Two really bad things in 1906. They lost their entire warehouse in San Francisco uh, with the, uh, the earthquake, and part of what they lost was one million gallons of wine. Wow! Yeah, like one million gallons.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then they I mean, also—that's su- probably what Johnny Depp has consumed this, in the past year.
0: <laughs> exactly. I guess it all rolled downhill at some point. But uh, and then it also—they also, they also uh, survived Prohibition where they were reduced to making sacramental wines for religious services and then used the rest of the vineyard to raise cattle. Wow. Um, But as it it turns out, this is a a straight shot about 28 miles up the road from Metallica's headquarters in San Rafael. Uh Um, It's about a dozen miles from Napa where the the now Las Vegas Raiders used to have their training camp at a middle school, not far from there. Um, But it's a nice removed area but it turns out, I think the other reason they went for this place is that it's gigantic. It has 320 acres of land. Um, and to give you an idea, that's uh, an, an, ac- um, an acre is about the size of a United States American football field. But if this, if this property was a square, it would be three quarters of a mile per side, or over in Europe, 1.2 kilometers per side. This place is huge. And uh, it turned out this all fell into place at the end of July. Um, the owner, the current uh, boss of the winery, who's a guy about 50 years old um, and and a rock and roll fan, um, he'd been approached because they do rock gigs at the winery. Um, And they said, is there any way that we could make this work and do it very quietly? And the answer to all of that turned out to be yes. And everybody involved in having this done under secrecy managed to keep very, very quiet about it up through and including the tapings which was i like, it was the rehearsal was august 9th and then the taping was the 10th and i'm pretty sure they taped the rehearsal as well based on some of the clothing changes that you would see between yeah songs. yeah um so they they had two nights of actual outside time to film and then you know they've had you know, a couple of weeks to, to mix it but it um apparently it all went very very well uh there were only half a dozen people Uh, in terms of the neighbors that actually knew what was what was really going on and everybody they they told they told most of the neighbors they were filming a commercial and then the other thing they did and this was very surprising um they all their sound was in-ear monitors they didn't actually amplify the gig at all so i
1: had a feeling okay yes that
2: makes a lot of sense
1: that was the the very that was as soon as you were done the first thing i was going to ask you is so is it just because it's so big like how did they handle the noise that explains well well, i think this would have been i mean i think if it had just been the mic the the amps that we
0: saw chances are i mean someone would have heard it um but uh, yeah without a doubt (laughs) yeah but as it was i mean you know somebody the only thing you would have heard um acoustically would have been the drums and the the vocals yeah Uh, but so that was how they also managed to do it but they they um, they managed to get all the equipment in on Saturday night as the winery closed. They did a they locked the winery out and sent all the workers home on a Sunday and the Monday. Um, and they didn't tell any but they just told everyone they were filming a commercial. So and awesome. fortunately they were able to get everything in without anybody figuring out what was going on. The crew stayed in a local hotel and the owners kept that quiet. And then they were able to get, you know, the band in and out both days without anybody figuring out what had actually happened. Wow. And you know, I guess the, the the really tricky thing would have been you know they had guards at all the entrances but the problem now is if someone has a drone you know could they get in and that's the big and, and you know as it is the only drone footage was this that was at the very beginning and the end of the set that the band shot so
1: yeah which was which uh, kevin and i were talking about that afterwards about how it's um we were surprised they didn't use more of those because it was really impressive when you saw those shots
0: it was and um yeah, it all worked very well. But, it, but the guy who made this happen, it was the, uh, the current boss, um, is uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bunchu, who's like 52 years old. And he's been running the winery since he was in his early 30s. And uh, he's, uh, he loves his live music and he loves his bands. And the, um, it turns out the other thing, thing that came up is that at the end of this month, uh, or within the next month, he was supposed to have a socially distanced Chris Robinson Brotherhood concert mm. at the winery. And the local uh, the local politicians found out about it and asked him to shut it down, and so in order not to blow the Metallica thing, he actually had to cancel the Chris
1: Robinson booking. Well, and I mean, so, right, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah Sorry, exactly. Chris, but <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris can reschedule. Yes. Yeah, and also, you know, Metallica are his neighbors, so he's just being he's just being neighborly.
0: So yeah, it all it, but it all worked out very well, and and they, uh, but they they really, I I. I would have just never thought to have like set up and, and play there. But by playing it at sunset and having the, I guess the band were facing north based on where the sun was setting. And so it was.
1: This, Kevin, this is what I was saying when I'm like, yeah. Andrew's going to carry the weight here. Yeah. So, so, they on.
0: so they weren't staring into the sun as, as, as the sunset was happening, but it made for a really, really nice kind of artistic concert. And, yeah. the, and it was dark halfway through. So it was. Uh, I loved
1: that. I loved that the sun was going. And you know what else I liked about the the sun sundown aspect is it also sort of let you know that they didn't cheat by running through the set 15 times and choosing the best blips of everything because you can't cheat daylight (laughs) you know it's like the sun was going down
2: especially those first four songs were just rapid fire boom 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 yeah lars was counting them off like right away
1: yeah i think Um, that oh go ahead i was just gonna say i also thought it was cool um transition wise that there wasn't a lot of awkward banter between songs because they did stuff like cutting to video montages. And, um, and then there was that great moment where Hetfield had the, the printout of (laughs) where all the drive-ins were and they're all just talking like that to your point, Andrew felt a lot like a fan club, like, like you're just hanging out with Metallica, you know, as they talk about themselves. And not only that,
0: um, Uh, Robert actually gave a shout out to the Woodland Hills drive-in. We were one of three or four that got one. That was the loudest car horn of the night except for the end. He
1: might have been been at your show. I didn't figure this out until afterwards, but um, I follow his wife on Instagram and she was posting Instagram stories of the two of them and their kids in their car at a drive-in watching the the movie last night. And I was trying to think there's only so many places where they'd be doing that. Um, and I don't think it was. It didn't look like ours in the footage, so um, might have been yours. That's ours, yeah. I and mean, it didn't seem like anybody recognized him or was bothering him. You know, he was. There. Well,
0: he he was probably in undercover. I mean, if yeah. if he'd gotten made during the show, there would have been commotion. Yeah. So um, I think pandemonium. Where, yeah. Where, wherever he, if, if uh, maybe he was there, it's probably the closest one to where he lives. That's what um, I would think. So um, he may well have been there, but I think he just went undercover. And uh, yeah, because that, that's one of those things, like if that had happened, like that would have made its way through the parking lot like wildfire, so, and it didn't, so. It was as far so as let's I'm talk concerned.
1: about the setlist. You are the setlist master, which I think um, owes some kind of debt to uh, you being a deadhead.
0: Yeah, um, it's um, the thing, I mean, Metallica, um, generally that they, they, you know, they play about, a, generally when they're out on tour about, a, you know, about a 25% to a third of their set list Changes out every night because they've got the uh, six or seven slots in each show where they rotate older songs in, and then there'll be you know eleven or twelve songs that'll be static, and a lot of those will, will be from whatever record it is that they're touring at that point. So, um, but I thought it was um, I, I, I had been hoping going into this that. I guess I'd made three predictions before the show and and I whiffed on every one of them, so I may as well just fess up now.
1: Which, to your Um, credit, uh, people who listened to or have yet to listen to the prior episode with Andrew, where we recapped snm 2 Night One, uh, he was batting a thousand. I I don't know sports metaphors well enough, but his predictions were, I think, all came true. Many, many, but
0: many. But
1: but yeah, this one, I thought that they were going to bust out something
0: very, very old. And not played all that often early in the show to kind of throw bone to the like the the, the, uh, the you know the old school uh, the hardcore fans. I mean, there was the jump in the drive-in T-shirt, so I figured that was the obvious one. Yeah. and it's such a catchy song that even a more casual fan will like that. You know, and
1: and I, uh, I'm going to interject real quickly because I just added this, but um, I just really launched a Speaking Destroy YouTube channel over the last couple of days. There's a trailer welcome. What is speaking to story kind of video, and then I have a bunch of playlists that I've been quietly curating over the last couple of years of different Metallica-related finds that are on YouTube. One such video, which you can find in the Dave Mustaine Metallica Speaking Destroy playlist, is Lars at some point in the it looks like the, the late '90s, early 2000s. He's backstage in the dressing room trying to find a working stereo with which to listen. Jump in the fire because the band is gonna relearn Jump in the Fire to add it into their set list.
0: Huh. And, and
1: he makes a joke to the camera because uh, the stereo he's trying to put the CD in is unplugged and he's like, I know who unplugged this. It was probably Dave Mustaine. <laughs> um, and, then he, and then he says to the camera, actually, no, it probably wasn't. Dave Mustaine wants us to play this song because he's gonna get paid. <laughs> so, Yeah, Jump yeah. in the Fire. So yeah, so they, 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 they didn't break out a, a super old one.
0: I'd also thought, and this was based on the fact that they did that wonderful, rearranged, slower acoustic version of Blackened earlier this year. I thought that there might've been like, they might've told like what Led Zeppelin used to do is you know, do an acoustic segment of about three or
1: four songs in the middle. And Metallica of the set. did that um, in the Reload era. They would do in the middle yeah. of the set, towards the end somewhere as one of the encores, they would set up and they'd be really close together on the huge yeah. stage. And like, so I
0: thought, I, I thought, that, I was, yeah. I was actually hoping they were going to dust off Blackened and do that version again. And me too.
1: Or, or the regular <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah, or the regular version. Or the regular or version.
2: I would have been very. I even said that to, to Ryan last night. I was like, Oh man,
1: it was Black. interesting to me when they when they started. Nothing else matters. I turned to Kevin and I was like, Oh, the show's over because Nothing Else Matters always goes into Inner Sandman, and unless there's a there's an encore of, of Seeking Destroy, and Kevin was like, They already played Seeking Destroy, and I was like, Oh yeah. Um, But we're all used to they only do Nothing Else Matters right up through the solo and then Hetfield rings out that last note and then that goes right into Sandman and I thought it was interesting last night I can't remember the last time I heard them finish Nothing Else Matters but they played the end of the song which there was even a moment where I was like how does this song end because I'm so used to the live iteration.
0: I think it was, um, the, the things that stood out to me last night as the set was unfolding, there were there were two things that, that uh, two songs that were, you know, they're, they're they're constantly in Metallica sets, but they turned up in unusual places, which is Seek and Destroy, they moved it all the way forward to fourth in the set. Yeah. They haven't done it early in a show, to the best of my knowledge, in a while. Um, and then they also moved two songs after that, they did one, which normally tends to be in the back half of the set. So I think that that was the initial, you know, my initial reaction was, okay, well, those, those are the two big changes. Um, but as it turns out, um, they, I, I did some, did some diving this morning and I found out that there were actually four songs in the set that had actually been semi dormant for the last few, you know, for most of 2019, when they did the last run of shows. And just to recap, there had been, you know, there were the two S and shows in September. And prior to that, they did a run of North American shows in the winter and then did um, European stadium gigs in the summer. And as it turns out, there were four songs that actually had a bit of an absence before they turned up yesterday. Um, Fuel, they hadn't actually played since March of last year. Um, and Which is it,
1: surprising because you think about that as a staple.
0: Yeah, I did too. I was really surprised. And it turned out they didn't play it all summer in Europe. The last time they'd played it, was in March of 19 at, at the Grand, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the States. Um, and then later, it turns out that um, Wherever on my I Roam, they played that at uh, the two S&M shows, but prior to that, that had been sitting on the shelf since February. Uh, uh, they, they played it in Cleveland on February 1st that year, so that one also sat dormant for an unusually long period of time. That, that was surprising. Um, Fade to Black uh, turned up uh, much like they did it earlier in the stadium gigs. I think the last show they played it on was, was in Belgium on June 16th. And then Battery also had not been played since March 9th in Louisville. And I was also surprised about that. So there were actually four songs that had been absent, not for you know an entire year, but ones that weren't in the rotation uh, over the summer. So they actually yeah. did dust off four songs that hadn't been up and running for a little while when everything hit pause last year.
1: Yeah, a couple of our listeners were responding to you. I, I had posted the set list last night on the Speaking of Story Twitter account, and a couple of folks had complained that, oh, you know, would have loved to have seen more deep cuts, and this is just kind of a greatest hit set, and that's cool, but this and that and whatever. And then, yeah, as you just pointed out, even in a quote-unquote greatest hit set, there are songs that, that hadn't been played for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, and I mean, they, they hadn't played in a year, and not only that, they weren't playing through their normal amplification. This was, uh, this, <laughs> right. would been, this would have been a strange gig to play. Now, maybe they're more used to it because they did something you know similar with the Antarctica gig, you know, because everybody had headphones for that. But it just, um, I think when you really, really sit down and think, you realize, okay, they were dormant for a year and they came back and turned in a really, really tight, good show. And I thought yeah. also, I thought the mix was excellent. Um, uh, Robert was nice and up in the mix, very up. Um, he was was, up. <laughs> yeah, it was the bass up mix, which I I like Metallica better with the bass up, um, and so I. But I, I thought they did a really really good job, and they were um, they were tight, and they left they left a couple of minor flubs in, which I think was great because that proved yep. it was live, um, and it was um, yeah. I think when you really add up everything, all the variables that were working against the band. Um, making this a really, really, really good show. Um, It made sense to actually go with, you know, even if they weren't necessarily deep cuts, go with tried and true stuff. And and also, um, you know, they were able to at least grab four songs that had been dormant for at least a little while.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the mix, actually, because, and, you know, and it could be different relative to, I mean, for example, we were... All night, what, what were we listening to? Stereo from other people's cars, really, right? Well, and, and uh, Moncler- Did drive
2: have a have a speaker? Yeah, yeah, that's what we were getting the main mix from.
1: Okay, um, so I'm curious, yeah, if what we heard was a little different. But on our end, we noticed that bass was really loud, drums were loud, vocals were loud. The guitars were only comparable level-wise when they were playing on the clean channel. But for the most part, just regular Metallica guitars were really low. Was that the case for you?
0: Andrew? Um,
1: I don't know. I guess I, I, I didn't notice
0: that everything else was lower. I think it was more just for me, I was just so happy that the bass was more prominent. I think that was yeah. the, the takeaway. It definitely and, was. And, and, and also, um, I mean, we, we had our windows down, but you know, we had our car stereo up so we could hear both you know, within and without. And people off to our right, somebody brought a really big amplifier. So it was on oh, nice. the shotgun side. Um, nice. And, uh, but it was, so we actually had a pretty good, uh, we actually had, had pretty good sound within the car, but without as well. And there was one car in front of us that they seemed to be slightly out of sync. Uh, but they, 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 were, they were, uh, they, it was like the feed they were getting was coming in a fraction of a second later, but. Um it didn't affect it didn't
1: Did you notice, Kevin? Because since there were multiple screens where we were when I went uh to the snack bar, it seemed like the screens weren't necessarily in sync. They
2: definitely were not in sync.
1: Okay. But then I was also like, is this just like a mind trick that's happening to me because I'm walking and I'm disoriented? But screen one
2: was way behind our screen. And um and I was checking for audio too when I went to the restroom. I was trying to see if I could hear more guitars. oh if the
1: mix was different yeah yeah
2: and um it really wasn't it seemed like the mix was uh uniform throughout the whole drive-in
1: because i I, my very first thought when it first started was and this is this probably shows you know that i went to high school in the late 80s and early 90s but i thought oh it's because everyone's got these bass heavy car stereos (laughs) i don't even know if people have those anymore (laughs) i I just that was my first thought though was it was like yeah everybody was But, but it wasn't so much bass frequency as it was bass guitar was loud. So I mean, that was cool. Um, Curious, Andrew, before we wrap up, um, and this is without placing a value judgment on, you know, I don't want to get into the divisive political nature of, of the pandemic where everything gets politicized, even the freaking pandemic. But it was made very clear from the outset over and over and over. And you got reminder emails and they reminded you as you, scan your ticket, that you were supposed to social distance and remain in your car for the duration of the thing, unless you had to get out to go to the restroom or you wanted to go to the concessions and get snacks, in which case you had to always wear a mask and you had to maintain social distance. Now in Montclair, and I'm curious what Woodland Hills was like, nobody was in their car. And it was it was uh, everyone was it was like a regular driving experience where people brought lawn chairs, people came in pickup trucks, and then had you know the whole family sitting in the truck bed, and everybody was out and no one was wearing a mask except everyone did wear a mask in the lines for the restroom and the snack bar, but they weren't really social distanced in those lines like maybe a little more than they would be normally, but by no means were people like six feet apart in line until you actually got into the snack bar itself then they had x's on the floor and they had someone taking your temperature and and that whole thing but um but yeah it was sort of it was sort of disorienting because you know kevin and i are you know everybody's living this thing differently than everybody else but we've both been pretty stringent uh, quarantine at home you know we've been home <laughs> Right. <laughs> so it was strange enough to be in a crowd, but then to all, but I'm telling myself on the way there, like, yeah, but everybody's got to stay in their car and this and that. And then we get there, and it's just like the first thing you see is that no one's in their cars and no one's wearing a mask. So it was yeah. just kind of interesting.
0: It, well, I mean, it, was, um, it, was, it sounds like you, you, it was maybe a little more chaotic over at your place. Um, there were definitely a lot of people that, that, that were sitting outside their car on lawn chairs and things like that. And I think that what, from what I can gather, um, if people were within their little cluster, some people had masks on and other people didn't. But when people were up and walking around, if you were outside your little immediate area, um, I didn't see anyone running around without a mask on. I think
1: that's how ours was probably too. Cause yeah, yeah. cause people were maskless, but they were in their own clusters. That's a and good we didn't, have a,
0: we, we didn't have a snack bar, uh, but yeah. we had porta potties cause it's a parking lot. And yeah. so everyone in line for the porta potties had masks on. Um, I mean, there were there were people kind of like moving around from car to car, like headbanging and stuff like that. And the people generally, if you were out, if you were outside of your little area, um, you had a mask on. I thought for, for from what I could tell, people were actually pretty respectful of, of, um, of the mask rule <laughs> once yeah. they left yeah. their immediate area.
1: Yeah, I did get popcorn and Sour Patch Kids. And the family next to us was kind enough to share a couple beers with Kevin. So yeah. it, it definitely had a Metallica family vibe in that sense. Like nobody, I didn't feel, you know, some shows you go to and it feels like people are aggressive and right. this was not bad. Everybody seemed like, you know, all for one. one was, all. Yeah, and they seemed
2: excited. I, I didn't feel unsafe at all. Yeah, uh, Though people like weren't wearing masks while they were watching the show, like, you know, we were. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the longest I've ever worn a mask thus far. Yeah, yeah. since it's- went through, but um, it, everyone was still...
1: But we did sit outside of the car, full disclosure. when we realized yeah. that's what everyone else was doing. And I remembered that I have a couple lawn chairs in the trunk from when my son was playing soccer last year before the world changed. Uh, and I was like, we can sit outside too, I guess, because everyone else was, you know. But, uh, and we were social distanced from everyone. But, you know, I, prior to getting there, I expected that they were going to have staffers walking around, you know, policing everyone and uh, they didn't
0: the security presence was there i mean i know at one point um my car i kept on having to restart my car and shut it off because my battery kicks off after 10 minutes and so i I, it happened enough where i started just doing it after every song because i didn't know if the next song would be 10 minutes or not and you do it while everybody was honking because the lights would flash on and off and at one point my lights didn't go off and within about 15 seconds there was a a worker uh, you know, basically came over and said, "Hey, can you turn the lights off?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." So they were they were That's really cool. on that in terms of making sure that no one was doing anything to distract. So I think that they, uh, the, but the, the from what I could gather, the, the event staff they were very friendly and very on top of things, and I didn't see anybody giving any attitude to anyone. I thought okay. it, um, I didn't see any uh, anything that was embarrassing, obnoxious, untoward, so so right? So. Yeah. It, what I can gather,
1: this all went very well. That's awesome. Well, um to kind of in in summary, the question I would pose to both of you and to myself, because I haven't really thought about it too too in depth, um, It's kind of a two twofold question. One, during this ongoing pandemic, is this something that you would do again, either for Metallica or for another band, or was this like a one and done that was unique and interesting, but I don't need to do that again. And two, if, and when the world gets back to some sort of semblance of normal and people are going to concerts in the way that we're accustomed to, would you be interested in continuing to do something like the drive in stuff and like the live streams that have been happening online? Like, is that, are those things that are going to stay with us? Because, you know, for years you were hearing like, you know, I remember Serge from System of a Down talking about hologram concerts and you know there was always talk of this sort of stuff and now that we're sort of forced into it, it's like, are these things, are we gonna, is the industry gonna adapt to where live stream shows and drive-in concerts are just gonna be part of it even when normal concerts are back? And if so, would you guys wanna go? So yeah, so twofold question. One, is it something you wanna do again during the pandemic? And two, is it something you think you would do Post pandemic,
2: uh, for me, uh, it's definitely something I would do again. As I said earlier, I, I felt safe, and uh, this reminded me, though it was different from going to see the Big Four in the movie theater, you know, and dudes are drinking beer and smoking weed and headbanging and yeah. uh, in the movie There was a mosh pit in the theater. Yeah. yeah, and it was it, it. It reminded me of that, and like going to see uh, Led Zeppelin's O2 Arena show or going to see sammy hagar's birthday i mean this is clearly something i've done before and uh, uh, like uh, yeah i would do this again for sure
1: was the sammy birthday
2: like this i didn't know i didn't realize well i mean the, the sammy birthday was a one night only thing in movie theaters
1: oh i didn't know that
2: yeah and so that was it was neat and uh there was a ton of people in the movie theater and definitely wasn't as rowdy as the big four, but
1: no one was chanting Slayer, Slayer, Slayer.
2: No, no. (laughs) You know, the Led Zeppelin one, the reunion show was, you know, more of an older crowd, but it, you know, they all sounded great and it was awesome. Um, But as far as like going to a show, an actual show again, that all depends on, you know, like a real show when that is right now, there's no way.
1: But, oh, but I'm but I'm saying when there when there are real shows, would you still? Oh, of course, because I've already do been doing these it. these kind of shows too. So you've already been doing it. Yeah, I'm a nerd. I'm I'm gonna go if <laughs> something I want to see, and I can. Hang I, out well, with I that. went to the Big Four, as you know. I went to the Big Four. Yeah, three, my buddy Jeff Kresge and I went, and um, we thought it's funny you brought that up because we thought, oh, we're like the only two nerds who are gonna go to this. Like, who even goes to this? You know, we thought the same thing, and we, we, thought, we thought that thought the, the theater same. would be sparsely seated if you know we we really expected to walk in and be two of like six people right it was packed and it was a lot of young thrashers like 20 year olds teenagers in like brand new crisp like fourth and fifth tier thrash band t-shirts patches (coughs) there was a pit i remember saying to jeff afterwards i was like dude the only thing they messed up with here is they could have sold merch if you walked out of that theater and there were merch stands for all four bands, they would have cleaned up. Cause it was a concert. It was crazy. Um, yeah. And it was fun. You felt like you were, you got that like communal tribal metal vibe at that showing. So, so yeah. So Andrew, your thoughts on those. Yeah. Two? I think Um, yeah, I would, yeah, I, I would definitely do this
0: again. I think that um, to an extent, this is something like having a national drive in event like this, when you think about it, there—it's not something that would be able to happen all that often, anyway, because the amount of acts that are, can actually draw enough people to make it financially viable to do it—you mm. got to be on that highest tier. That's um, point. So that's so. Whenever that is happening, you know, when they continue to do these, um, you know, if, if this is if this is what it takes to go to a concert, yeah, I'm happy to do it. I had a really good time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and so. Yeah, I would definitely continue to do it. I think you know it, it's it's a step beyond you know paying, you know ten dollars for a live stream or sixty dollars for a pay per view. You know this was you know priced at one hundred and fifteen, about twice what you'd normally pay for you know like like a, a UFC type pay per view. Yeah,
1: um, but you could theoretically split it up between six people. I doubt many people did. I mean, I'd be it'd be neat. There's no way to have access to it probably, but it would be neat to see what the breakdown was of. How many cars had six people in them, and I mean, how many had one person in it? Yeah, know. exactly.
0: Uh, yeah, true. Um, but and then the and then the other the second question is that um, at, that I when when normal concerts resume, I think that there will still be a market for something like this. And the reason why is that, and I'll just go back to you know during the um, the opening montage last night, you know during the uh, uh, Ecstasy of Gold. Um, can you imagine a year ago us seeing that montage, the film montage of everyone getting tested for COVID? Can you imagine like what 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 would you have been thinking if we had seen that a year ago? That would have been terrifying. Yeah. And and then, you know, you have all these images of people with masks and, and the and the protectors and setting things up and 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 you know the, the temperature guns and um and then it fades into footage of vineyards. And I'm like, okay, well this is Kind of you know a a nice homage to the spaghetti westerns that this came from. And (laughs) all of a sudden, wait, it's a drone shot. They're playing a venue. Wait, that's where they are. are. (laughs) So I said all that to make to to get to the to the 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 point of this, which is that these these events could really really work. Because again, you'd need a band that's big enough to draw, that can spend the money on a production to do this. But what they can do is take a band and put them in a very unusual physical situation, one that might not. Uh, or could not sustain a crowd of you know ten to fifty thousand people. So you know, for example, you know, like in 1978, The Grateful Dead played the Pyramids in Egypt, and I think more recently, I think you know, the Chili Peppers did it. But now, um, you you know, you could go to some really remote places. Like, let's set a band up and get them play uh, like the temples at Angkor Wat in Cambodia, where you could not have ten thousand people come in there because the temple would get trashed. Um, but they could probably put a band in there with their equipment, mm. and they could have this and do some sort of very special remote show that reflects the environment and, yeah. you know,
1: uh, and the culture, uh, the people, everything around them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, David Gilmore actually did a couple of live shows at the at the Pompeii amphitheater where right, pink, right. yeah, where Pompeii yeah. with no audience. And so, if you have a band that a has a market big enough that they can get away with running off to some unique location. And filming that and then getting people to come see it um you know the the limit is anywhere on the planet that can have it and if spacex gets involved could, you could have gigs in space
1: absolutely and, you know and so the possibilities
0: give, are endless for that if there's
1: creativity and budget got to give credit to motley Crue that they kept saying they want to be the first band on the moon although i really think and i'm not just saying this because they're my favorite band and we're on my metallica podcast i think metallica would probably beat them to it because they seem to be the innovators leading the charge and the first to do just about everything. Um, last, last, last thing before I let you guys go. And thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Um, since the last episode was taped and released, uh, there's been two uh, losses to our heavy music community. Uh, quiet riot, uh, being an important legacy band of many decades and generations and power trip being a band that's, uh, very exciting of, of today, um, two key essential people from each of those bands passed away. So I want to send out love, light, prayer, thoughts, uh, you know, condolences to uh, the family and friends. And if either of you, I know Kevin, you're a big Power Trip fan, uh, if either of you wants to talk about Riley or, you know, if there's Quiet Riot Convo, you have the floor.
2: The power of the Riley thing is, it's, yeah, it's, that's a huge loss to thrash metal today. And I don't really have anything to say, except I'm still in shock. And um, yeah, I just, I hope his family and his friends are doing all right and his bandmates. Um, but thankfully he left behind a solid catalog and they were in the middle of recording a, their third record. Oh, I so, didn't see that. I'm not sure if he was able to get to the vocal stage, but back in March, uh, drums and guitar, well, at least drums were being tracked. Um, I'm not sure if anything else was done or if they, or how extensive their, their demos are. But um, yeah, huge loss and it, that one hurts big time.
0: Yeah, and with, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about Frankie for a bit. I mean, the bottom line is Quiet Riot were the gateway band for millions of people. Um, they and Def Leppard did more to suck kids into the heavy metal vortex in the early '80s, younger, newer kids, and make new fans out of them, than than almost every other band did together. And they, um, you know, they, they, yeah, they helped get a lot of people into things. And and Frankie fought like crazy. Uh, he'd been fighting this illness for a long time, and he had um, very he'd he evolved into one of you know heavy rock and metals kind of elder statesmen, yeah and played that role absolutely wonderfully and was an excellent representative of you know his band of, of his, his band and their legacy and just um, and it's just his overall love for music and it is it's a shame we lost him but he's left behind a very very good catalog and a lot of good memories with a lot of people.
1: Absolutely. And I would say Frankie Benali, much like the great Chadwick Bozeman, who we also lost this past week. Um, you know, the fact that those two were one publicly and one privately battling terminal cancer, and yet as prolific and ass kicking and visible as each of them were up till the very end is is just massively inspiring. And that's not to say that everyone who's terminally ill or or disabled in some way, uh, has an obligation to somehow be that strong. But it is inspiring, I think, for anybody, no matter where you are in life, those two guys, uh, what they did, what they left behind, and, ha- and how hard they were going in the midst of of literally fighting for their lives. And, and you know, people talk a lot about, oh, so-and-so lost their battle with cancer. And it's like, I don't know, man, those two guys won their battle against cancer for a long time, you know, b- before, before throwing in the towel. So... God bless and um, you know safe journeys to the next world for Riley, Frankie, Chadwick. And yeah, thanks for listening to Speaking Mestroy, everybody. Thanks for thanks. joining me guys. Cheers. Thanks, Brian. See ya. Bye.